Our theme today is Micah 6.8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And I've changed it just a little bit there to make them a little more plural. Because he is very pointed in that Micah 6.8 passage. If you ever read Micah, Micah's coming down on him pretty hard. And he comes to this conclusion after, and he says, this is how you should live. This is what it takes. This is what it is. It's not anything that we can physically give. It is something that comes from the heart. And I believe that's what Jacob has realized through his son, Joseph. And as we come to the end, we see some major symbolism here that we'll get into point three. But first, let's read and look at point one. So verse Genesis, open your Bibles to Genesis 47 and look at verses 1 through 6. You're going to find that Joseph's story is, is wrapping up and Jacob's story is wrapping up as well as we enter the end of Genesis, right? So Joseph has kind of taken over the house in the sense that the spiritual house of Israel. And he hasn't done that necessarily by choice. He has done that by necessity because God has called him and he's been following the Lord and walking faithfully with that. He, in, in that process, he has drawn Jacob back into that role as well. And so they can work and together as one. And that is really neat. I'm excited because we see that Jacob finishes well. How does Jacob finish well? He finishes well because his son is there finishing strong with him, right? If Joseph is not doing what he's doing, Jacob would never have gotten back to where he was, right? Without, I, I guess God can make that happen, but God chose Joseph to make Jacob finish well. So let's get into it. Verse 1 of Genesis 47. It says, Then Joseph went to see Pharaoh and told him, My father and my brothers have arrived from the land of Canaan. They have come with all their flocks and herds and possessions, and they are now in the land of Goshen. Joseph took five of his brothers with him and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? They replied, We, your servants, are shepherds, just like our ancestors. We have come to live here in in Egypt for a while, for there is no pasture for our flocks in Canaan. The famine is very severe, so please, we request permission to live in the region of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them the best land of Egypt and let them live in the region of Goshen. And if any of them has special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. Okay? That's an interesting line that I'm not necessarily getting into. I, I will probably bring it up next time because we're going to finish off 47 next time I, I preach. So we see the end approaching. And as the end approaches, we see Jacob and Joseph getting Jacob's house ready, getting it in order, right? So Joseph has helped Jacob get his house in order, 
And through following Joseph's lead, Jacob is now being blessed by the Pharaoh with these lands. And then he in turn blesses the Pharaoh, which is interesting as well. God is using that blessing from the Pharaoh to preserve the house of Israel during the, the famine, and he prepares the way for the promised land. Yes, God is calling Jacob back to him. And Jacob gets to finish in the Lord's blessing. So, I see this and I ask, how do we stay in the Lord's blessing? How do we come alongside God and then remain in God's blessing? So when I hear the word remain, it brings up one passage of scripture in particular. Anytime you hear remain in me especially, I think of the vine and the branches. And we find that in John chapter 15. And if you look at 9 through 14 of John 15, it says, I have loved you ever, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, our joy will overflow. This is my command. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friend. And you are my friends if you do what I command. So what are we to do? If we are to remain in Christ's love, we need to obey his commands. And how do we obey his commands? We need to know his word. We need to know the example that he set for us. And therefore, we need to know how Christ Jesus lived. Where's the best place to find how Christ Jesus lived? Well, you go down to the Christian bookstore and you find the Christian living section and there's all these books in there that tell you how to live like Jesus. No. No, that's not how it does. That's not how we do. Well, you get on Amazon and you type in, well, how, how do I live like Jesus? No, no, that's not it either. I can't do that. Well, I think if I just, I'm just a good person. So I must be like living like Jesus if I'm a good person. No, again, that's not how we do that. We find out how to live in obedience by following Christ's example. We find Christ's example in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We see that lived out in the book of Acts. We find the doctrine of how to do that in the book of Romans. And we find out that there's a bunch of Christians out there that they don't know how to live and they don't know how to act like Jesus. We find that out in First and Second Corinthians, and then we are encouraged by the Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians. First and second Thessalonians talk about guys that don't have anything but give everything to Paul for his ministry. Wow. And we find at the end, eventually, after we learn from John that we're supposed to live like Jesus, how do we act like Jesus? We live like him. And then how do we know we're Christian? Because we live like Jesus. We cast off sin. We live and put on righteousness. We get to the end, and we find out that relationships are messy, the church is in trouble, and Jesus is coming back. 
right? And when Jesus comes back, there is an accounting for all these things. And so if we are having an accounting at the end times, that means the end of our time here on this earth, there will be an accounting as well. When we stand before the judgment seat and Christ is there saying, um, should I let you in or not? God says, is your name written in the book of life or is it not? What does that mean? It means that we obey his commandments, right? It's almost that simple. It's a little bit more complex than that, right? Obedience comes out of faith, right? The first step is accepting God's grace. And when we accept God's grace, we surrender to his love. And we know that his love will not disappoint us. So we can obey God's commandments first by surrender and loving God. Second, by obeying and making our earth relationships by loving others. And through these examples, we will make disciples. Wow, that's pretty cool, right? Very simple, but it ain't easy. We could hit the simple button in Christianity every day. Boom. Not the easy button, though. We don't have one of those. The easy button would be a lot easier if we could just sin a whole bunch. But we're not allowed to. But we have grace for when we do do, right? Wow, I had a really corny joke there. I'll just keep it to myself. Just know it was funny to me. I don't know if it plays well, though. So believe it that. And that's what communion's about, right? Getting right with God. Getting right in obedience. So I was challenged this week myself about Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And I've always looked at that verse, and it seems straightforward to me, but there, um, it was, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name, uh, just passed away from New York. Um, it's got glasses not coming. Anyway, um, he challenged, I was listening to an old message that just came up on my podcast, and he talked about declaring allegiance to God and surrender, surrendering in a sense felty to, to the Lord, right? So first we surrender felty. After we surrender felty, because why would we surrender in felty? Because we understand that he is a higher power. He is the one that's going to win. He's the one that cares for us. He's the one that watches over his troops. He is the one that um, has compassion and understands when we're broken, doesn't he? Yet he also has the strength to overcome. He has the strength to take us not only out of the mire, but into the joy of the life that is to come. And that's pretty amazing to me. And so I understand that as I surrender to that guy, my heart wants to declare that surrender as well. Not only is it, I'm going to surrender to get fire insurance, but I got to tell somebody about this. I got to let somebody know that I found Jesus. I found the one that gives me peace that passes understanding. I found the one that has allowed me to move forward in life, and not only just to get out of the muck and the mire, 
but to excel at life. Because he gives me the peace that passes understanding. He gives me the one, the assurance to move forward. This week, for me, um, walking through other people's muck and mire, that can get hard on, I've, I've discovered this as a pastor, um, you guys give me white hairs, uh, which is fine, right? How do you deal with that? I confess I cannot carry your burdens by myself. I have to give those over to God pretty quickly or I can't move on. I get bogged down in the muck and the mire, right? But I know that I have faith that God is going to show up and do mighty things through his word, through his way, and praise God, he gives us the strength to carry on, right? Amen, pastor. Gives me the strength too. Good job, little Timmy. Glad you're paying attention. Just kidding, just kidding. But he does, doesn't he? Whew. I can see you're definitely paying attention this morning. You, I'm not being facetious on that. You're all, all eyes are here. So I'm, obviously the Lord's working on you like he has worked on me this week too. How do we lay our lives down for our friends and family then? Marriage is being attacked. It's being attacked in this church. It's being attacked across the state, across this nation. It's being attacked from the fundamental levels, and it's being attacked on a very relational level. And as we, as Christ followers, come into this attack, how are we going to respond by loving our spouse, by loving one another, by setting that example. Because he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of each one of us. He has shown it to us. But to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, to act justly, to be fair and compassionate when other people are not. When they're not playing by the rules, we play by the rules because Christ set those rules in place. And we are not going to break that doctrine just to play, I got you now, game, right? Ha ha. How do you like them apples? How does that make you feel? No. I'm going to heap burning coals on your head, like the Lord said, and I'm going to play by the rules, and you're going to find out that there's grace that extends from me to you, and hopefully you can see that grace that extends from God to you as well. That's what loving the others does. How do you love others? By loving God. How do you love God? By loving others. If you don't do one, you don't do the other. Right? And to love mercy. After all, do we des- don't we deserve to go to hell? I asked that on Thursday to the youth. I said, what do we deserve? And one of them yells out to go to hell. I think they just wanted to cuss in church. Just kidding. They, didn't. They, they had the right answer. And I was impressed. They said it pretty quickly, didn't they? That's what we deserve. God's grace pulls us out of that pit. Isn't that something worth praising God about? 
Hallelujah. I am free. Jesus came and rescued me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I am free. He came down from above and he gave me a heart of love. Is that how it goes right there? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I am free. That is a song. I can't remember that one line. Praise God. He's extended that mercy to us every single day. Every time we sin, God extends that mercy. Extends that mercy. Draws us in. Why are you doing this, Pastor House? Why are you doing this, Shane? Why are you doing this? Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that there's a better way? Well, if I knew that, I probably wouldn't be doing this, did I? That's when he thumps me upside the head for being sarcastic. He doesn't like that, just so you know. That's called back talk. It doesn't work with my dad. It doesn't work with my, my holy heavenly father. So how do we do that? How do we extend that? We start that with loving our families. You don't know my family. I don't. You're right, I don't. Sometimes I do. You don't know how I was treated, pastor. You don't know. Yeah, but I also know how Christ was treated, and I know how he reacted when he was treated that way. He did not speak up to his accusers, and he continued to love them all the way through death into eternal life with his heavenly father. So he sets the example that I'm going to follow, and I'm just asking you to do the same, right? Starting with our family, then moving on to our friends, then to our neighborhood, then to our nation, and to walk humbly with our God. Humility. I think that's one of my biggest traits. Anybody that ever says that, you know, they, they struggle with pride, right? Anytime they, somebody says, well, how would you describe yourself? Well, I describe myself as a very humble person. And you're like, oh boy, it's one of these guys, right? Right? You, if you're humble, you don't have to say it. You don't say it, right? So Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the second part of it says, don't you think of yourself better than you really are? Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by faith God has given us. If we have little faith, we measure ourselves little. And the more, the bigger picture we have of God, the smaller we discover that our faith really is, but it's grown since it was last week. Does that make sense? The more we know about God... We thought our faith was this big, but the more we know about God, now our faith is really, in reality, probably closer to this big, and really it's probably even smaller than that. But in actuality of our faith meter, we've grown twice as much. We've doubled our faith, but that's still minuscule compared to what we understand of God because we just understood God so much better this week. You're like, wow, that ain't a paradox you just described. Amen, that is, that's what I just described, a paradox, right? So what do we do? We don't pretend to love others. We really love them. What does love require? Sacrificial action. Love requires sacrificial action. If you're not sacrificing for your friends, family, neighbors, then you are not really loving them. You're having pity on them. Hate what is wrong. Cling tightly to what is good. Seeking the Lord. 
love each other with genuine affection. You got to learn how to say that nice thing, even though you want to call them an idiot. Right? That's the classic is, well, bless your heart. Right? Lord, help him because I don't know how to. He's an idiot. That's what my grandma was saying to me all those years. Not really, but kind of, right? Because we, we're so, we're young, we think we, we know it all, and then when we grow older, we, we realize that we don't, and then we start correcting some of these behaviors that we've set in for many, many years back in our teens. And if we would have just learned back in our teens not to set that behavior in, we'd have been money ahead in our 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? And on. Love each other with a genuine affection. Take delight in honoring one another. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. We have confidence in the Lord that he is going to watch over us, that he is going to be there for us. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. And always be eager to practice hospitality. Wow, Shane, those are a lot of commandments. You just come up with those? No, I actually turn to Romans chapter 12, and those are verses 9 through 13. I read off like they were application points, because they are. But that's, I just quoted scripture, is what I did right there. And that's Romans 12, 9 through 13. It was in your bulletin. You're like, oh, yeah, I see that now. Romans chapter 12 is one of the best places to get application. 13 is good, 14 and 15 are really good. 16 is good too, but there's a little bit less application and more greetings to other churches in it. But there's still some good applications in there. Right? Why does he put all that application at the end of Romans? Because he's established justification and sanctification, the front side of Romans. And so then he wants the application at the end. Okay? That's why. God has shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Genesis chapter 47, 7 through 12 goes like this. It says, Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. So Joseph assigned the best land of Egypt, the region of the Ramses, to his father and his brothers, and he settled them there just as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided food for his father and his brothers in amount appropriate to the number of their dependents, including the smallest children." thought that was an interesting line. Sometimes we get distracted by earthly goals, don't we? You see this with Pharaoh. The first thing that Pharaoh notices about Jacob is how old he is. He sees that he's an old man. He says, I want to live to be as old as you. What is your secret? You ever hear that? I know Ralph and Joyce hear that a lot. They want to know, how did you make it for so many years being married together? That is such a wonderful thing, and it is a wonderful thing, right? 
Well, as I've been talking a lot in my marriage counseling, I've realized that if you want to make it long in a marriage relationship, it requires sacrificial action. And I was, I've, I've been going back to use the illustration of Forrest Gump with, when he's with Bubba in the mud of Vietnam, and they're, they're up to water up to their waist. They're sitting down, and they're in this just muck in the mire, right? And Bubba says, Forrest, you go ahead and lean up against me, and I'll go ahead and lean up against you. And I, as I push hard, you just keep pushing harder, and we'll keep each other upright. That's what it takes. What happens if one of those two stops leaning? They fall. They go into the mud. They drown. They die. They can't make it. And if you want to make it in relationship, it is surrendering to God and self-sacrificing there. And when you self-sacrifice to the Lord, you can self-sacrifice to one another. Praise God. So he's... This is significant because the average lifespan of most Egyptians is about 40 years. And most of these pharaohs right in this time, they didn't get much past their 20s. Some of them were even in their teens. To see someone over, well over their hundreds was quite remarkable. Jacob's reply, though, was very heavenly-minded. He replies in verse 9, he says, I have traveled this earth for 130 years hard years, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. And then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. He replied, 130 years, but my life is short compared to my ancestors. My life is short. I think he says this with lamentation, a lament. He is saying that I could have done so much better, but I didn't. I didn't walk with the Lord as I did, and he has blessed me with the life that I have now, but it was short compared to Isaac and Abraham. It was short compared to Methuselah and Noah before them. It was short. His father and grandfather, Isaac and Abraham, lived much longer than he did. And it's a lament because Joseph did not walk with the Lord like his father and his grandfather did. They were both able to live and die in the land that God had promised Abraham. Think about this. They walked in obedience with the Lord and walked in faith with the Lord that they were able to live and die in the promised land. Now granted, Abraham didn't start in the promised land, but he finished in the promised land, right? And he died in the promised land. Isaac got to live in the promised land, grew up there, and died there. Jacob grows up there, but has to exit there. And that is insinuating that his actions were not always God-honoring. And so God had to draw him back to him, and so he had to exit the promised land, because maybe he was making that his idol instead of God his God, and he drew him out and said, listen, I'm going to be your promised land. You need to be dependent on me. The children of Israel are going to learn how to be dependent on me for the next 430 years. Part of that, you're going to be in slavery. Right? And that's what Exodus is all about. 
The teacher in Ecclesiastes says that the things of this earth, they're meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Possessions are meaningless. Relationships are meaningless. He gives a little bit of credit to marriage, but he says that in a sense that's meaningless as well. Even pursuing God can be meaningless if it's done incorrectly. It's very cynical, right? Who was this author of Ecclesiastes? This bitter old man. It was King Solomon. King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes late in his life because he pursued all these things. And he says it's like a chasing after the wind. I tried to find pleasure in this. I tried to find pleasure in building and sex and money and power. It's all meaningless. It all withers away. I discovered everything that I built is going to be given to another man, and he might not even remember who I am. Wow. He does come to a conclusion, though. The last chapter is all about remembering the Lord, remembering that relationship. Don't forget to be in that. He says it very cynically, but that's what he is. He says not only to remember him in your old age, but remember to remember him while you're young. That is the biggest charge, he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Joseph's mindset then is to provide for the next generation. You notice that in that last verse it says, he especially the young ones, <coughs> excuse me, provide for the next generation, his father and his brothers with an emphasis on the little children, emphasizing the next generation. He understood the importance of passing down godly character to those young people. Phil and I were talking about that last week a little bit. Passing it on to the next generation. That's why we have such an emphasis on the youth group here. They won't show up on Sunday mornings, but they'll show up on Sunday evenings. And they'll show up on Thursday evenings. And they'll learn about God. How to walk humbly. How to do justly. And that is a praise. And that is a testament to your guys' faith in them. Because you don't see it. You don't see it, but you believe that it's happening. Right? You have faith in those kids that it's going to happen. And so do I. Obviously, I have faith in God first. That he will sink it into their hearts. And sometimes, it just baffles me. I'm like... Why are you here? Sometimes I get blunt with them like that. Where else would I be? It's a good enough answer to me, but that's not what I wanted to know. I'm like, what? It doesn't make sense. God's tugging on my heart, and I know this is where I can find out about God. Praise God, right? Praise God. So we have a charge. We have a charge to these people. Joseph did not have that charge yet. They discover this from Moses in his final speech in Deuteronomy. He gives them, lays out the law 
says this in application a little bit. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it's called the Shema. Probably a little bit more like Shema, but I double syllable it there. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, he, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commandments that I have given you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Wow. Pass them on to the next generation. Let them be a part of your decor in your home. Make sure that scripture is where you can read it easily. It's a reminder that we are there. It's a commitment that yourselves wholeheartedly are following these commands. How do we know that we love God? We obey his commandments. It's the same thing we find in John chapter 15. It's repeated over and over and over throughout the scriptures is a theme, is probably the biggest theme in the Bible, to love the Lord your God, right? It's probably important because Jesus said it was the most important commandment. (laughs) You should probably listen to him. And Paul says that we need to pass this on. In 2 Timothy 2.2, it says, you have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. God has shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Now, we're going to go back and look at the big picture again. There is heavenly implications in Genesis chapter 47. First time I saw this, I read it, I noticed it, I was reminded of it, of listening something that Brooke said clicked for me, and this is what I got. This was my first sermon that I wrote. You're like, oh no, he's going to write a whole another stinking sermon. It's only one point, it's not very long. But I think you will find it interesting. And it's in closing. It says, now let's pause and look at these verses from the big picture. And anytime I look at the big picture, I always look at the characters that I'm finding in the story. So who do we have? Who are is present in this story? First, we have the Pharaoh. And then we have Joseph and Jacob. And we have five brothers. Jacob and the five brothers are seeking favor from the Pharaoh. And Joseph intervenes on their behalf. I think we can kind of see that theme. It makes sense. Yep. Okay. So I can't help but to see the symbolism. Now I'm going to pause here a second and say Pharaoh is not God. Okay. Pharaoh is not God. But in this illustration, he is in the place that God will be. Okay. So just for this, this insight, 
okay? I want you to see that the Pharaoh would represent God, Joseph represents Jesus, and the five brothers represent those who are in need of grace. Five is the number of grace. Six is the number of man. When you add Jacob in with that, we are falling short. We need Jesus to step in. We need Joseph in our life to make it seven. Seven is completion. We have completion because we are sanctified in Christ. What's it mean to be sanctified? It means to be washed in the blood of Jesus so that we can get by his grace to heaven. Okay? That's here, right here in this passage. It shows us in the symbolism. Okay? Friends, this is what Jesus is doing for us right now. He's interceding on to the Father on our behalf. He is standing there. We are the five brothers in need of his grace. And we have Satan there accusing, saying, look, they don't deserve to go to heaven. How do I know that is happening? It's in Zechariah chapter 3. If you want to see that painted out, it's in Zechariah chapter 3. And Satan's there saying, they don't deserve to be in heaven. They don't deserve that. And Jesus says, you know, you're right. They don't deserve to be in heaven. But by the blood of Jesus, I can set them free. And they have chosen to follow in my grace so that they have eternal life because no longer are their sins written down and taken care of but it's the blood of Jesus that covers over those sins. Amen? And now we can have relationship with our King of Kings in the promised land that we have, which is heaven, as they had the promised land of Goshen. And the only reason why they get Goshen is because of the character that we find in Joseph, and the only reason why we get to heaven is the character that we have in Jesus Christ. Can you see the symbolism there? That heaven is in the Old Testament. This is the biggest passage I've ever seen that points to heaven in the Old Testament because it just isn't there. You see a little bit of reference every once in a while, but there's this promise, but that's the symbolism is a lot more Eastern than what I'm looking for, right? I want a Western defined, this is how you do it. This is the step-by-step process, and I want to walk through there. And um, if I just be a good person, I can get to heaven. That's what we get in trouble, right? Because we can never be good enough. Faith in Christ Jesus in an Eastern mindset is not only do you walk it, but you believe it. They go hand in hand with grace, okay? And when we walk, we have to understand that surrender. We have to understand what it means to surrender in his grace. Because God has shown us, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Praise God for his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Elders, you want to come on up? Yeah, you can shut that off. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would
forgive us. I pray that you would come alongside us this morning as we are about to take communion. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew your right spirit within us. Forgive us when I, we cast you aside and we cast you asunder. Forgive us when we try to do it our own way. Lord, we ask that you would guide our hearts, guide our minds. Open up what you have for each one of us as we are about to partake in communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.